All righty, all right. Well, go ahead and find a seat. We'll get started. Happy Father's Day. It's so good to see you here this morning. My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. If you don't have one of our devotionals, uh, please grab one of those. Turn to page 211, and you can follow along in our passage this morning. Uh, so excited to uh, celebrate uh, Father's Day with you here this morning. If you're new, we also have a tablet that goes to the aisle. We actually have a different setup, so just look at the, the picture that applies to you and kind of click on it, and hopefully uh, it's just a way for us to stay connected as a church family. Uh, this morning, we're going to celebrate uh, men in our life, and it, it's not just because it's Father's Day. It works out great uh, that it's Father's Day, but it just so happens to be in our passage this morning, there's, a, there's an honoring of, of men in, in our lives. And it's, it's good to honor men in our lives because it's hard to find good men in life, right? It's easy to be a man today that just lives for comforts and pleasures. Like young people, listen to me. Like if you're, if you're looking to grow up and be a man one day, if you're going to marry a man one day, like it's easy to be a man that just kind of makes jokes and gets together with other men that makes jokes and, and does what he wants to do, when he wants to do it, when he wants to do it, where he wants to do it. Like that's easy to, to do. Uh, but, but God's word uh, uh, teaches us that when we find men and women like who want to live for Jesus and want to and want to help others grow in the relationship with Jesus that those those men and women are are special and we want to honor uh, those people in our life because people tend to replicate what is elevated and honored does that make sense like we just we tend to we tend to do what people esteem and so if you think about you know my favorite guy Justin Bieber like I mean, who doesn't love Justin Bieber? And then as a result, you have all these young men that are growing up today. They, they, they dress, they talk, they want to look like Justin Bieber. Just a couple of weeks ago, my wife and I were at a funeral, and a little 10-year-old comes into a funeral with, like, tight pants, a really baggy shirt, and his hair pulled back like he was about to go on stage uh, for Justin Bieber. And I'm like, my guy. Uh, but that's what happens, right? If that's who we esteem, that's who we tend to replicate, young ladies, who doesn't love Gigi Hadid, right? I had to ask my daughter who that was. And uh, you go to the domain this afternoon, you're going to see young teenage girls dressing like this. And as, an, as a 40-year-old person, you're going to be like, did you look in the mirror? Like, why are you dressed like that? And then only to find out it's Gigi Hadid that's, that's shaping the youth of our, our day. And, and, and why? Because those who we esteem, I know everybody likes to think we're individuals and we have our own style. Stop it. We're all mimicking others, and it's, we mimic, we replicate what we esteem. Therefore, when there are men and women in our life who love Jesus, men and women in our life who, who, who pour their lives into others to help others know Jesus, we want to hold those people in high regard uh, in the hopes that we, we will have uh, a replication of those characteristics. So that this morning in God's word, uh, we're going to see the example of Timothy. We're going to see the example of Epaphroditus. Somebody named their kid that next time they have a baby. And honor such men. Uh, let's start with this first one, example of Timothy, verses 19 uh, to 24. Right? Turn to page 211 in that devotional. There's questions in there. That's for later on in the week. We're just going to look at God's word this morning. I'll read. You follow along. It's the Apostle Paul writing. says, But I hope in the Lord... 
Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interest, not those of Christ Jesus. So notice how verse 19 starts off with hope in the Lord Jesus. All right, this is critical. Our hope is ultimately in the Lord Jesus. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to honor men like Timothy and Epaphroditus, but it's clear that in God's word, our ultimate hope is in Jesus. Just a few weeks ago, we saw verses 5 to 11. It's the greatest passage on Jesus, the greatest passage in the Bible of just how glorious Jesus is. But the scriptures, the Bible is not just made of glorious language about Jesus. It also wants to talk about our lives and, and, and how does this glorious life in Jesus shape how we live practically. Well, for, for us to know how to do that, we need examples. That's why we have Timothy and Epaphroditus. God's word gives us examples. I remember in my life, I came to faith in Jesus when I was 18 years old. I didn't grow up around uh, the local church. I didn't understand the Bible. And so I had a lot of questions. Like, what does it look like practically to, to follow Jesus? Like, am I supposed to wear khakis all the time? Like, do I have to stop cussing? Like, do I have to change my relationship with the opposite sex? I mean, I generally didn't know. Like, how am I supposed, what is, what is this life supposed to look like? And by God's grace, he brought people into my life, examples for me to model, right? And we see that in God's word. God's word is pointing us to example in Timothy. So the apostle Paul writes, yes, our hope is in Jesus. In verse 19, but wouldn't it be great for the Philippian church to meet Timothy? Do you see that? Timothy is somebody who, uh, he's grown up with a Greek father who doesn't believe in Jesus and a Jewish mother and grandmother who does believe in Jesus. And now Timothy is going from city to city with the Apostle Paul proclaiming faith in Jesus. And Paul has spent so much time with him and been so encouraged by God's grace in Timothy's life that he is writing to the Philippians like, you got to meet Timothy. You got to meet him, right? And why? Why? Why does Paul want the Philippian church to meet Timothy? Because we need examples. We need models for us to, to follow in life. I mean, the Apostle Paul's in prison. Remember, chapter one, he's in prison. He may not get out of prison. And so Paul is thinking to himself, You really, you really need to meet Timothy. So you have practical examples of what it looks like to follow Jesus. I mean, that's what every one of us need. I mean, what does it look like to raise children as a follower of Jesus? What does it look like to, to work a career as a follower of Jesus? What does it look like to, to have uh, uh, children, uh, to, to, to balance a budget, to do your taxes, to read the headlines in the news? I mean, Philippians chapter 1, he's praying for the Philippian church to know how to navigate life in such a way that they would approve of that which is excellent. And so how are they supposed to know if they don't have examples? I mean, this is the heartbeat of our church family at North Village Church. Like, We want life on life. I don't know how it happened, but somehow the American church has taken our faith in Jesus and reduced it to a worship service on a Sunday morning. And worship services are great. I mean, we love great music. Did you hear Natalie singing? Just like, ah. I mean, those are awesome moments, right? When you're lifting your hands in worship and the lights, and you're just like, 
this is awesome. A great speaker, it's great to have somebody who just brings God's word in such a way you're like, I love it. But somehow we reduced our faith in Jesus to an hour, an hour and a half on a Sunday. And you need to know that's not what we see in God's word. That's just not the example. I mean, our dream at North Village Church, this may be a surprise, it's not to get a bunch of people in the room. Listen to great music and hear a great speaker. I mean, we want it to be a good experience, but that's not our end goal for a Sunday morning worship. And the pattern we see in God's word, if you want to mature in Christ, it's life on life. It's, it's looking at people, it's seeing godly characteristics elevated, and then it's replicating that in our life. So young people, listen to me. The worship experience, that's not the end goal. It's great when we have those types of moments, but the moment we need to be thinking about is that how do I know Jesus, how do I grow in Jesus, and then how do I help others know and grow in Jesus? That's what we see in Scripture. Does that make sense? And so each of us needs to be thinking to ourselves right now, what does that look like in my life? As a 15-year-old, what does it look like for me to know Jesus, grow in Jesus, and help others grow in Jesus? I'll just bullet for us. Like personal faith in Jesus, whether you're 15 or 50, that we would each think to ourselves, have I began a relationship with God through faith in Jesus? We cannot pour out into others what we've yet to experience. And so we need to begin with the greatest hope there is, faith in Jesus. Second is that we want to take ownership of our faith. It's not just a Sunday morning worship experience. There is an ownership of a faith that needs to take place. We take ownership of our education, right? We, you're thinking about those grades. You're thinking about that GPA, You're thinking about that SAT. You take ownership of your career. You're thinking about those objectives. You want to climb that ladder. You want to get that bonus. You're taking ownership. In the same way, let us take ownership of our faith. We commit to a local church. It's not just a worship Sunday morning experience that we bounce in and out of. We commit to a community group. It's not just people that we say hello to on a Sunday and we see them once or twice a month. We're involved in each other's life. We commit to God's word, opening the scriptures, studying God's word, enjoying God's word, obeying God's word. And then the last one, we don't just take ownership of our faith. It doesn't just stop there. But we want to help others grow in Jesus. That's the pattern we see in scripture. I mean, don't make it complicated. Helping others grow in Jesus doesn't have to be super complicated. It's simply looking out for the interest of others. Did you see he affirmed Timothy in that passage? Like, I know nobody else who also seeks after the interest of others. It means when you walk into a room, you're not just thinking about yourself and your clothes and your breakfast and your coffee, but you're thinking about who else is in the room, who's sitting by themselves, who's looking down. Who needs a high five? Who haven't I caught up with? Who haven't I gotten to know as well? And then when you're talking to people, you're not just talking about your week and your weekend and your job, but you're also asking about their week and their weekend and their job, that you're curious about others, right? That's that's helping others grow in Jesus at the base level. I mean, it starts with just saying hello, right? Look around, hello, right? I was having lunch with Dustin Rogers 
elder in our church family just a couple of weeks ago, and he says, you know, I was remembering the first time I visited North Village Church, Risa Browning came up and he said, hello. He said, Risa Browning wasn't a pastor. He wasn't on staff. He, didn't, he wasn't required, like, you know, to come and talk to me, and yet he did, and it made such a difference in my life, just saying hello. Like, Risa didn't, like, teach him geometry, like, in that conversation. He just was like, hello. And Dustin said this. He made this observation himself. He goes, and I think to myself on Sunday mornings, who's the next Dustin Rogers walking in on a Sunday morning? And, and am I going to be the next Risa Browning in his life? He goes, and it encourages me to look out for those people. It just starts with helping others grow in Jesus can be as simple as saying hello. And that's what we see in the life of of Timothy. That's what we see God's word is elevating, esteeming those types of qualities and characteristics, not just to honor Timothy, but so that it's replicated in the lives of others. Let's look at verses 22 to 24. But you know of his proven worth. Again, he's talking about Timothy still. That he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel, like a child serving his father. We're celebrating Father's Day. How awesome is that? Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. Notice the language proven worth in verse 22, right at the beginning. Proven worth. It's a connotation of, of, of proving yourself through suffering. Right? It means that Timothy has been faithful through the hardship. That Timothy has been faithful through the heartache. That he has persevered over and over and over and over. And Paul has seen it demonstrated Over and over. So that he's saying to the Philippian church, like, I don't know anybody else. He's proven himself over and over. I mean, what a challenge for us this morning. I mean, how many times have we we gotten all excited about reading the Bible? I'm going to read it every day. We get like three days into it. It's just like, oh. I mean, something came up, right? Something's always coming up, right? How how many times? Like, I'm going to commit to a local church. I'm going to do it. I I found one. It's awesome. It's great. It's where God's calling me three weeks later. (laughs) Because why? Life is hard. Things pop up. So that's that's God's word just acknowledging there's there's hardship. We we genuinely want to get lunches with each other. We say, like, let's get together. Let's get coffee. Let's have each other over. And we mean it. We genuinely, sincerely, like, I mean it. But what happens? Weeks go by. Months go by, and we're like, dang it! It's because hardships happen. And God's word, like the qualities we esteem is the, the men and women in our life who, who persevere through those hardships. That we would honor those qualities of pursing through, persevering through those hardships. Because hardship's going to happen. Like no matter what age you are. No matter how educated you are, wherever financial bracket you're in, there there is going to be a challenge to open up God's word. There's going to be a challenge to commit to a local church. And God's word is inviting us to persevere through that, to keep showing up, 
that we're going to say hello to somebody. Next week, you're going to be like, Michael, I said hello to somebody, and they just walked right past me. It was devastating. It's going to happen. Right? We're distracted, probably not even pr- intentionally. People are just going to ignore us, right? We're going to try to set up that coffee, and, it, and it's, like gonna, it's, it's, gonna be a, it's not going to go well. And, and we're going to think to ourselves, like, why am I doing this? And God's word's reminding us. Like, the intent is to have life-on-life relationships with each other. So we, so we persevere. That's what's going on in Timothy. That's why he's saying, I don't know anybody else like him. I can't wait for you to meet him. I'm so excited. He's proven himself over and over and over again. Therefore, might we do the same? Let's look at Epaphroditus, verses 25 to 27. In Timothy, we have the example of somebody who's kind of living life with the Apostle Paul. And in Epaphroditus, we have somebody coming from the Philippian church, and yet he honors both contexts, verses 25 to 27. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him and not him only, but also on me so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. So again, in verse 25, God's word is honoring the life of Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus is from Philippi. His name actually comes from the goddess of love, Aphrodite, but Epaphroditus, his allegiance is not to Aphrodite, his allegiance is to Christ, so that God's word honors him. The apostle Paul just rattles off, brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, messenger, minister, right? What, what a compliment. Let's just break that down, like a, a, a brother in Christ, uh, Epaphroditus is Greek. For Philippi, uh, Paul is Jewish, uh, so they're, they're different, he's, he's an Israelite, they're different ethnic groups, but right there in scripture, God's word is showing us the, the thing that unites us is not our ethnicity, that they're, they're united as brothers in Christ because of their faith in Jesus, that we're adopted into his family, that we become brothers and sisters in the Lord, and so this is Epaphroditus is no longer Greek, individual, stranger. He's brother. And then describes him as fellow worker in the gospel. It's so good. I mean, Timothy is being trained as a pastor, going from city to city with the Apostle Paul. Epaphroditus is a courier. I mean, he, he's, he's a mailman. Uh, he's, he's taking financial funds from Philippi to Paul, and he gets sick along the way, but he also perseveres through hardship and heartache, and and yet Paul describes him as a fellow worker in the gospel. So what that means, when you show up to work on Monday, when you change diapers on Monday, that, that, that we might have different jobs, different employers, but when we are in Christ, we are all fellow workers in the gospel. Isn't that good? He's a fellow worker. He's a fellow soldier, reminding us that when you're in Christ, there's a spiritual battle. There's a spiritual war. I mean, how many times do we get home at the end of the day and we're tired? We feel beat up because we've been in a battle. 
right? That, the, that there is a work in Christ and there is a war in Christ, that we are fellow soldiers in Christ. Like, I'll be vulnerable with you for a second. As, as a father, like, there are times I read this. I have a 14-year-old son, a 17-year-old daughter, and there are times where I genuinely think, like, I don't know that I want my children to be fellow workers and fellow soldiers in the gospel. Like, I get swept up in the, in the headlines of the day, and I find myself thinking, like, I want my children to be safe. I want them to be secure. I want, I want them to have comfort. I want them to have all the dreams they, they want in life. I want them to have the, the pla- that's what I find myself working about and praying for. And, 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 then, and I forget, I forget that, that Jesus is so much better than the pleasure and the comforts that this world has to offer, Right? I mean, we know that in God's word. We know that in our hearts as followers of Jesus, but we get distracted from that. I start believing that the comforts of this world are better than Jesus, and I forget that the comforts of this world are fleeting. I mean, that's what we're experiencing right now with our economy, with our market, right? That the dream for my children can't be to to get a retirement in a house and married with kids and live in comfort because none of that is reliable. It can be taken from us. Look what's happening at the Ukraine right now. It's all, it's all crumbling around them. And so the greatest thing that I can pray for my children as a father is for them to be fellow soldiers, to be fellow workers in the gospel, for them to, to know the Lord Jesus, to know the voice of the Lord Jesus in their lives because he will never fail them. Right? That's what we see being lived out in the life of Epaphroditus, and that's what we want to see replicated in the life of our church family. Do we know these types of men in our life? Are we honoring these types of men in our life? Are we emulating these types of men in our life? That's the invitation. Look at this third example. Honor such men. Verses 28 to 30. Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly. He's talking about Epaphroditus. So that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ. He got sick in his journey. He could have gone home, but he persevered, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. In verse 29, we see God's word calling us to honor such men. It doesn't mean that these men in God's word or in our lives are the heroes. Jesus is the hero of the story. But we want models to follow after. In our church family, probably the clearest practical example of what you might see in our church family at North Village is, is, is the role of our elders and our elder in training. Right now, we only have one volunteer elder. His name is Dustin Rogers. Uh, I serve as, a, as an elder. Keith serves as a pastor on staff. We both get, Keith and I both get financially compensated to serve our church family, but Dustin is a volunteer elder. He just, he just does it because he loves Jesus. He loves our church family. He, he, we, we receive our, our reward now. Dustin is storing up rewards in heaven. 
And he's doing it. He's motivated to do it, to serve sacrificially our church family, to pray for you, to love you, to come alongside you, because he loves Jesus and he loves his word. I mean, absolutely, we want to we honor that in our church family in the hopes that it would be replicated in our church family. We also have uh, uh, Jack Green and Roberto Moctezuma. They're going through our elder in training. Our elder in training is a 12-month-long process. You read books, you show up to meetings, you do assignments, you get feedback. I mean, it's, it's challenging. And they, both Jack and Roberto, they're about two-thirds of the way through, and they have proven themselves to be faithful to God's word, faithful to our church family. They love you. There's no financial compensation. The only thing that motivates them to do those assignments, to go through that training, is because they love Jesus. They love his word. They love this church family. What a gift. We absolutely want to honor and esteem those men in our church family. Please pray. Pray for those men. Say thank you to those men. Give them, give them high fives. They absolutely, they don't do it for the high fives. They do it because they love you and they love our church family. I'm guessing that there's, there's, there's plenty of us in the room who are thinking to ourselves right now, well, what about the women, right? Why honor such men? What about the women? Listen, we absolutely have men and women, non-elder and elder-in-training people in our church family who demonstrate these qualities that we're reading. Praise God. We have men and women who are not elders, and they love our church family, they, 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 they do things, you do things in our church family that probably uh, the majority of us will never know about. And, and, and you're a blessing to our church family. But in light of God's word, we want to honor, honor the godly men he's placed in our midst in the hopes that it's replicated in the life of our church family over and over to men, to women, to young, to old, right? That's the invitation of God's word. Are we, are, we, are we honoring those men in our church family? And then are we, are we taking the steps to replicate those characteristics in our lives, right? So that we know Jesus, we're growing in Jesus, and we're helping others do the same. I'll end with a story. Um, you know, sometimes, uh, sit down, I thought, a little fireside chat with you here. Got a little something going on there. I, I think sometimes, like when you talk about a subject like this, or you look at a at, at our lives as elders or as a pastor, you, you you might think like, well, you know, Michael probably grew up in a home where Jesus was talked about and the scriptures were elevated, and he he probably was planning on being a pastor when he was like twelve years old, right? And that's just not the case at all uh, in my life. It, I, I didn't I didn't grow up around any of the. Uh, the local church, or interest in Jesus, but my life is a testimony to the passage that we, we looked at this morning because I come to faith in Jesus. I, I was spiritually confused, like I mentioned earlier, like what does this look like practically? And by God's grace, he brought men in my life. There, there's one man specifically, his name was Wendell Weaver. He was just a few years uh, older than me. He was married. He just had uh, his first ch uh, child, and, and I saw godly qualities in him that I didn't have. 
godly characteristics that I didn't understand how that, that happens. And so I went to him and I asked him, I said, hey, how, how do you develop these qualities? And you know what Wendell said? Wendell said, well, you should come live with me. <laughs> like, I'm like a 20-year-old punk. And he just, I, I went and lived with him, his wife, and his newborn. And for over a year, like he just shored up spiritual gaps, character gaps in my life. I'm so thankful uh, for that. After Wendell, there was a guy named Rocky. It's a true story. It's his name, Rocky. And uh, he wasn't a boxer. But uh, Rocky uh, was just a couple years older than me, but he knew how to study the Bible. And, and I, I saw that quality in him, that he knew how to read it, study it, and apply it. And so I, I went to him, and I said, hey, how, how, do you, how do you do that? And he's like, well, let's get together. And so for, for weeks and for months, like I'm just a college student, just a 20-year-old. I didn't plan on being a pastor one day, but I got to sit down with Rocky, and he would just walk me through Scripture. And then he would say, now you go teach that to somebody. And I would say, why would I do that? He's like, because that's what God's word teaches us to do. And, and then I would just like, walk around and be like, do you want to learn the Bible? Right? I was just, that, that, but that's how it started off in my life. Then there was another guy. After Rocky, there was another guy named Tim. And uh, Tim, I was, I was just impressed with uh, how he navigated his faith in the workplace. Again, because I'm not thinking I'm going to be a pastor one day. And he worked at IBM, and he's just a, a couple of years older. He's married, and, and yet he was sharing the gospel at work. He was living out his faith at IBM. And, and so I just started asking him about that. And he would invite me into his home. We'd sit around his table, and he taught me how to share the gospel. And he taught me how to do that on a college campus. And I'm so thankful that the Lord, like, my life is absolutely the result of, of godly men being replicated in, in my life. And so that's the invitation uh, for us as well as a church family, that we would esteem it, right? And then, and then, and then by his grace, that, that it would be multiplied uh, in our midst and that that would happen over and over and over and over again. Yeah? This morning, we're going to celebrate communion. And, and really, communion is a, is a, is a response to remember that we are not individuals, that we are a body. All right? I'm guessing right now it's really easy to feel like an individual. And communion reminds us that we're not. We're not alone. Like as we're fighting through this faith, as we're following other examples, we're doing it as a body of Christ. We're doing it as a family. And so I want you to remember that, like as we come forward to, to take that cracker, that cracker is a symbol of, of Jesus' body that's been broken at the cross. And to, to take the cup of juice or to dip it in the juice is a symbol of the blood that's been poured out. But ultimately, that there is a meal that's taken place with the body of Christ, that you're not coming forward as an individual, you're coming forward as the body of Christ. And so do that. If you've yet to trust in Jesus, then we encourage you to do it right now. Like, believe in Jesus. And if not, then would you hold off on coming forward? But if you have, then come forward and celebrate collectively what we have in Christ. Will you bow your heads with me?